0: That's a good song to preach after, don't you think? I think so. I was thinking about uh, this weekend and weekends like this where uh, the church is uh, celebrating uh, somewhat of a cultural thing in terms of Mother's Day and also, though, wanting it to be a worship service and how, how a church rides that uh, balance. Like in a couple of weeks, we have uh, the 4th of July is on a Sunday and we'll have a similar, uh, a similar balancing act that we'll want to do. And it just seems to me that what we want to do is we want to honor the mothers and worship God. Honor the mothers, worship God. So we honor the mothers. Love you. Great. Happy for y'all. Uh, have a great day. In fact, we have gifts for you as you leave Uh, Each mother will have a a gift there. So we've honored the mothers, and now we are worshiping God through song and through the preaching of his word. So that's what we're intending to do today, and I hope uh, hope that the Lord is honored in it. Our church's teaching ministry is working its way through a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a seriously messed up church in the city of Corinth. This is a church that if there was uh, anything that could be messed up, they found a way to mess it up. And we are in chapter 12, and the subject matter is what is known as spiritual gifts. And we began this last week, and we talked about how a spiritual gift is a divine enablement by God the Holy Spirit to every Christian in the church, where we are enabled by Him to do something that bears spiritual fruit within the congregation. And every Christian has one, and with that, we all have responsibility to use it. Now, one of the things about spiritual gifts to realize is that these are gifts from God to the church. They are not gifts from God to us. There's a huge difference. For example, have you ever gone home and seen a wrapped gift on the table? Or maybe you go to work and there's a gift there. And and immediately in our minds, we think to ourselves, oh, somebody got me something. And we might even say, oh, look, is this for me? And then somebody says, no, it's not for you. And you know that feeling where you go from like, oh, it's kind of disappointing. This was the experience the Corinthians were going through when it came to spiritual gifts, because in their pride and in their self-obsession, they were viewing all the spiritual gifts for, as being for them. And Paul is saying to them, essentially, these gifts are not for you. These are for them. They are for the congregation. And so when it comes to these gifts, recognize that you have been enabled not to Do something for yourself or for your self-fulfillment, but for the good of the church. We see that in chapter 12, verse 7, which says, To each is given the manifestation for the common good. Very important to recognize about spiritual gifts. Now here's a definition of a spiritual gift. We used this last week. Any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Any enablement empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in the ministry of the church. One of the things whenever you talk about spiritual gifts that people are like wondering about is what is the difference between a natural gift and a spiritual gift? Because we all have natural gifts. We all have things that we're just naturally good at. Every, uh, every person in the world has something that they are naturally good at. It has nothing to do with the spiritual realm, the gospel, the church. They're just good at it. Are those, thing, are those spiritual gifts? And if I use a, am I allowed to use a natural gift in ministry? And if I do that, what's going on? So just a, uh, uh, something helpful here is to, is to realize that God can use anything that he wants to use. And our role is to be like, all that I am God, I want to use for you. Whether this be a natural gift or something that he is empowering me to do uniquely in a a kind of a spiritual gift. You know, Bill Gates can make a ton of money and give a ton of money to a foundation. He can give. And uh, Peter Drucker can organize and lead. And uh, Tony Robbins can inspire people to be better than they are. But there's something that Tony Robbins and Bill Gates and Peter Drucker, on their own, cannot do. That every Christian who has a spiritual gift can do. Here it is. Bear spiritual fruit. The natural man, in and of himself, can't do that. But the natural man, with any gift or empowered by the Holy Spirit, can do that. We've seen previously in 1 Corinthians The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. It seems silly to him. These are the people that they they will attend a church or they'll hear preaching and they'll be like, I don't get it and I can't wait for this to be done. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why these people care about it. That's the way that it is, apart from the Spirit of God. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Romans 8, verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So there is a difference between a natural gift and a natural man expressing a natural gift and a spiritual gift. But a spiritual gift can, can be God using a natural gift empowered by the Spirit to bear spiritual fruit. Now let me give you an example of this. Uh, I was recently talking with a local head coach, uh, high school head coach. This is a, a guy He's had a lot of success. He's very good at what he does. And uh, we were talking, he wanted to meet with me and talk about how he could be a better Christian coach. And so we got talking about that, and, and actually we were thinking of beginning a ministry of, uh, to coaches in the area. Um, and there's some neat things going on with that. But anyway, here's the question. He's, he's good at coaching. Is, is coaching football or baseball or basketball, is that a spiritual gift? And I would say, no, it's not. But can God use the organizational ability required to be a very effective coach in spiritual ways that can produce spiritual fruit? Yes. And can God take somebody who's really good at connecting with young people, specifically young men, and inspiring them to be a team and to think about something bigger than themselves? Can God use that ability in a spiritual way to bear spiritual fruit in the church? Absolutely. So God can take what we're already good at and empower it by the Holy Spirit and bear spiritual fruit from it. Or he can give us an ability to do something that before our conversion we didn't have the ability to do, but now we do. That is a spiritual gift. Can God take somebody who uh, is terrified to stand in front of people and use him to bless people in, in teaching? Yes. And the way that I know that is that is my story. Exactly. I remember being in high school. You know, people talk about being so afraid that their knees are shaking. I literally remember standing in front of a very small group of people, nothing like this crowd right here, and being so afraid by the experience that literally my knees, was not a metaphor, literally shaking in my legs. And I couldn't stop them. I was so frightened. If you had come to me in that moment and said, you know what, Steve? You're going to do this every weekend for the rest of your life. (laughs) I would have fainted straight away at that. I mean, the thought of standing in front of people and them looking at you, evaluating your clothes and hair and everything you say, critiquing it, that sounds horrible. Who would ever want to do that? And yet, here I am doing it. I am up here by divine call and enablement. Naturally, this is a terrifying thing. But by the Spirit, He has enabled me to do this. So I'm doing it. This is my thing in the church. You have your thing that God can use and will use in your life. Have you thought about what that might be and how God might want to use you? It's a wonderful thing. So sometimes God uses natural gifts and empowers them for spiritual purposes. Sometimes he gives us gifts and empowers them for spiritual purposes. Here's the point. Uh, Don't worry about which it is. If you're thinking about serving in some way and you say, you know, I'd be really good at that, but that's more of my natural gift, and I'm not sure if I should use that. Don't worry about it. Just say, God, everything I am, it's all yours. Use me in whatever way you you want to use me, and I'm good with that. And then I think God will... God will use you. All right, so there's our uh, introduction to what we're talking about today. And our passage today is back in chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11. But I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. Here's what God's Word says. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. wills may god bless his word to us today all right there is in this passage a main point and a minor point now people that read this passage typically want to talk about the minor point and we will in a moment but there is a main point the main thing that paul is wanting to say is this that all christians are gifted by the holy spirit And that these gifts all come from the same glorious source. Namely, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. That's the main point that he's making here. And we see that by the repetition in the text. And when you're reading the Bible, when an author is repeating something, it's a sign that this is what he's really trying to say. And so we see, for example, in verse 8, that these gifts are through the Spirit. Again, verse 8, according to the Spirit. Verse 9, by the same Spirit. Again, verse 9, by the one Spirit. Summarized in verse 11, all empowered by one and the same Spirit. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at this passage and to realize the thing that Paul is wanting the church to understand is that all of these gifts come from the Holy Spirit. Now, why would that be important? Remember... The the issue in Corinth was that the people were obsessing over the more spectacular gifts, namely speaking in tongues, and they were looking down on the service-oriented gifts or the -the behind-the-scenes gifts and saying, well, that's not so important. That's not so great. So the people that had the spectacular gifts were all sort of puffed up that they had that gift, and the people that didn't have the gift were wishing that they had the gift and were looking down on themselves because they didn't. And so there was all of this jealousy and and sort of self-exaltation going on. And Paul says, listen, why are you being this way? The Holy Spirit, in his infinite wisdom, has given to you exactly the gift that he wanted to give to you. Therefore, don't glory in the more spectacular and don't look down on the less. That's his point. Now let me illustrate it with, a, uh, with an old story from my family growing up. This is a favorite DeWitt family story. You could ask any of my family members and they would all know this story. And it has to do with my brother Scott. And many of you know my brother Scott. He is uh, uh, a missionary that we support in South America, Paraguay, South America. This also is an opportunity for me to uh, give a little uh, update on him. A little news in our family is that my brother Scott just... Recently, accepted a senior pastorate in Southwest uh, Minnesota, and so they are going to be moving back from South America back to the Midwest, and we're kind of happy about that. and uh, And so that's going to happen in June. Funny thing about that is that uh, the name of the church that he's going to pastor, Bethel. So <laughs> we're like, what are the chances of that? You know, two sons, both pastoring. Bethel, why not like, you know, Calvary or Grace or first something, both Bethel. I don't know. So here's the story. My In my family, uh, Christmas time was a big deal, probably is in yours as well. And my brother Scott was a famously mischievous and naughty little boy. So if you're a naughty little boy, listen to me right now, you're going to end up on the mission field. That's what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> God loves to use naughty little boys. Scott was, Scott was a very naughty little boy. And one Christmas, he, he desperately wanted a bow and arrow for Christmas. It's all he was talking about. I mean, he just was so excited to get a bow and arrow. And he was so sure that he was going to get one because he'd asked for one. So... The Christmas comes and Scott looks under the tree that morning and there's a long slender gift with his name on it and he's just so excited there it is and so in our family we would open up presents you, you started with the lame ones first and then you saved the best ones for last that's how we did it so the first gifts are like socks and underwear and you know things that you're like okay and waiting for the last one so we get, to the, we get to the end, and my brother Scott is, uh, he's, he's just can't hardly sit still. And so here comes the long, slender gift that is given to him. And he just, he just starts screaming with delight and ripping off the, the paper, and he's saying, I knew it! I knew it! A bow and arrow! A bow and arrow! And in that moment, all of a sudden, he realized, and he said, Oh, a fishing pole. Our family loves that story. Now what's going on there? The last thing that my parents are going to give to this naughty little boy (laughs) is a bow and arrow. For the safety of the family, pets in the area, uh, that kid was not going to get a bow and arrow. just wasn't going to happen. Now, a fishing pole is a good gift, isn't it? There's a lot of fun to be had with a fishing pole. But if you're really wishing you had a bow and arrow, it's kind of a disappointing thing. And it seems to me that this is the safeguard when it comes to spiritual gifts distributed within the congregation. Is to fight against the disappointment, perhaps, in the gift that God has given to you. And to fight against jealousy of the gift that God has given to somebody else is to recognize that it is the Holy Spirit who wisely distributes exactly the gift that the congregation needs. And what you have, you have because God thought it the best thing. He knows what's best for all of us. So let's not question his wisdom, let's not question his goodness, and let's be grateful for all of them. So I just think this is an important thing because oftentimes you get these little rivalries and these little resentments against people quietly in your heart. And just to say, you know what, God gave him or her that, God gave me what I have. And by doing that, it creates a proper humility in the church and a respect for one another's unique giftings by the Holy Spirit. And it promotes unity and love and appreciation. And that's the way that it ought to be. It wasn't that way in Corinth, but may it be that way at Bethel Church. And that's the main point. It is the Holy Spirit that gives it. And we all ought to uh, appreciate the gifts that he has given to us and to others. Now, here's the minor point. And the minor point is the thing that most people think is the main point, And they want to talk about. And the reason I call this the minor point... Uh, is that this is a list of spiritual gifts. And if you really get into spiritual gifts, you want to know what are they and what do they mean. And we could wish that Paul, when he wrote this, would have realized that that's what we wanted to know. But you'll notice that none of these come with any definition. This isn't like, a, this is not a dictionary. We maybe wish it would be. He just lists them. There they are. So it's a sampler. I call the message a spiritual gift Sampler. There are five lists in the New Testament of spiritual gifts. Uh, two of them are in chapter 12. We have the one that we just read. And you'll notice at the end of the chapter in verse 28 that there is another one. Here's what it says. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So two of the five lists in the entire New Testament are right here in chapter 12. Now I want to tell you the other 3. We'll put them up on the screen here. Here are all the gifts in the whole New Testament that are that are listed. We've already looked at the first two. Romans 12 lists these: prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, giving, leadership, mercy. Ephesians 4:11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. 1 Peter 4, speaking and serving. Now, if you've done any reading on spiritual gifts, you know that there's all kinds of attempts to try to categorize these gifts and to figure out what they are and how they relate to one another. And most of that is really, I think, uh, futile because there's no real pattern. In fact, I think this is one reason that these lists are not exhaustive. Is that you look at the list and, and to one group he writes this, to another group he writes this. I think that they are more examples or samples of the gifts that the Spirit gives to the church. Or maybe categories, generally, of the kinds of gifts that the Spirit gives to the church. So to categorize them, and, and to, we're, again, this is kind of a sample. We're going to walk through these and try to understand what these gifts are. I'm going to use 1 Peter 4.11, which gives two broad categories for these gifts. It says this, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God... Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So broadly speaking, we have gifts of speech and we have gifts of service. And that's the two categories that I'm going to use. So let's just walk through these gifts and let's seek to get an understanding of what they are so we can more readily identify what our gift is and know how to use it in the church. You'll notice in the list that there are 30 listed. Some of them are duplicates, so there's maybe around 20. And in the speech category, or word gifts, we have, first of all, revelation, speech, or office. And under this we have apostles and prophets. Let's talk about apostles. Peter, in Acts 1, gives the qualifications of an apostle. Remember, Judas had betrayed Jesus, so he's out. He actually committed suicide. He's gone. They want to replace Judas. And he says, let's identify, first of all, somebody who was with Jesus in his public ministry. So there you have a qualification of what it means to be an apostle. With Jesus in his public ministry. And as you know, they chose Matthias. So we began with 12 disciples, minus Judas, replaced by Matthias, and then later Paul was added. So a total of 13 apostles in the church. Anybody seen one of them lately? Probably not. They're all dead. And with their death, the apostolic age and the gift of apostle uh, passed as well. Now, their ministry continues through the word of God, right? As we read the apostles' teaching and we continue to apply it to our life and to the church. So their influence definitely continues. Prophets. The book of Acts gives two examples of prophets. There's Agabus in uh, Acts chapter 11, and then we have the daughters of Philip in Acts 21. We are going to deal with prophecy more in chapter 14, so I'm not going to talk too much about it, other than to say this, it's probably not what you think it is. Most people think of prophecy and they think, oh, somebody who can tell what the future is like. The Bible uses prophecy more for somebody who is declaring authoritative, revelatory truth to the congregation. And we'll get into that more later. So, we've got uh, revelation, speech gifts. Secondly, what I'm calling mediatorial speech, these would be evangelists, pastors, teachers, exhorters. The reason I call it mediatorial is that, for example, I'm not up here giving direct revelation from God. I'm not. I am mediating what God has said. So the way this has worked is I've studied this. It's gone into my brain, hopefully into my heart. And now today is coming out of my mouth to you. This is my mediatorial role. And you are to listen very discernly. Is that a word? <laughs> I don't even know if that's a word. Those with discernment are saying, that's not a word. You're to listen with discernment to what I'm saying, because I'm merely mediating God's revelation. Apostles spoke revelation, pastors mediate revelation to the congregation. We find in chapter 12, speaking wisdom or speaking knowledge, and these seem to be fairly interrelated. Knowledge is this, the ability to understand understand God and the things of God. There are some people who just have an unusual ability to have insights into God's word and into the ways of God. They're just really, really good at that. And they're able to speak knowledge to the congregation to bless the church. I think, for example, of D.A. Carson. A few weeks ago, we had uh, D.A. Carson, Dr. D.A. Carson, who came and spoke here. And I got to spend a little bit of time with him. There's a guy that has the gift of knowledge. I mean, that guy, he reads the Bible. You read the Bible, I read the Bible, and then he reads the Bible. I mean, this guy just can pull things out and understand God in really wonderful ways. What a blessing men and women like him are to the church, people that can understand God. Words of knowledge. Words of wisdom, though, are a little bit different. Wisdom is the ability to take knowledge And to apply it to the practicalities of life. Have you ever been around somebody who just has an unusual ability to bring God's truth down to the level that you're living in? And to say, you know what? I think this would be the path of wisdom for you. I hope that you have people like that in your life. Because we need them. Life's confusing. I don't know what to do. I'm I'm hurting or whatever whatever it is. And here comes a word of wisdom from a spiritually gifted person in the church who gives guidance in some way. And you're like, that's right. Why didn't I think of that? Well, it's because you needed somebody with a word of a, a gift of wisdom around you. It's a wonderful gift. Prophecy. Distinguishing spirits. Now, here's one you don't hear a lot about. When was the last time you said, I think you have the gift of distinguishing spirits? Probably not recently. What does this mean? Well, Paul describes it this way in chapter 14, verse 29, talking about the public assembly there at Corinth. He says, Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Now, this is what was going on at Corinth it was chaos. When you went to a church service at the city in the city of Corinth, you showed up there and everybody's just saying all kinds of stuff. One person's over here saying, This is the way that it is, and somebody stand up over here and say something else, and somebody say something else. And there was there was nobody there who was going, Is that right? Is that is that true? They was just, you know, they weren't distinguishing spirits. The church needs people who can discern whether this is true or false. Is this right or wrong? Is this from God or is it not? Is it light? Is it darkness? We need people like that. Otherwise, the church can just veer off in some wacky direction because nobody's there going, that's not right. You see? The gift of distinguishing spirits. We'll get to that more in chapter 14 once we get there. And then finally, in this category, tongues and or their interpretation. Interpretation. And this was the gift that was so massively controversial in Corinth. And I'd just like to say how glad I am that 2,000 years later, so much has changed. Uh, Those with the gift of discernment are saying to themselves, I think he was being sarcastic right there. (laughs) Indeed I was. Okay, now here's the thing. Chapter 14 is like almost entirely about this subject. And so we're gonna we're gonna wait till then to talk about it. Okay? So here you have the gifts of speech, revelation, uh, mediatorial, wisdom, prophecy, spirits, and tongues. Here's the second category gifts of service. And these are much more self explanatory. And under this, we begin with the gift of faith. Okay, the gift of faith. Now, some of you maybe are saying to yourself, no, wait a second. I thought all Christians have the gift of faith, and indeed, every Christian does. To become a Christian requires that I come to hear and understand in my mind the gospel, that I am a sinner, that there is nothing that I can do to save myself, that Christ came as the Son of God and died in my place, that he was dead and resurrected on the third day, is alive now and is coming back. Faith apprehends the, the reality of that truth and applies it to my heart in a kind of trust where now I am, my confidence is in Christ. I am following him. That is known as saving faith. And when I believe, the Bible says that I am, that as the, the choir sang, all my sins are washed away, washed away. Why do we celebrate that? And why is that a happy song and not a dirge? Because it is the greatest truth that we'll ever come across. That there is a way for my guilt to be taken away before a holy God. And that comes by faith. So true. All Christians have faith. But the gift of faith or the spiritual gift of faith is a little bit different. When somebody has the spiritual gift of faith, they are somebody who has a unique ability in the midst of crisis and the midst of trouble to have confidence in the character of God. Now, these people are wonderful. These are the people that, if you've ever been in a situation where people are like, oh, I don't know about this, what about that? And the worriers are worrying, and the, and the fretters are fretting. There's somebody there that says, you know what? Our God is faithful, and I think he's going to come through for us in this. And the worriers go, really? And the fretters go, really? And he goes, yeah. That person's got the gift of faith. These people are wonderful to hear pray. Many of us pray our prayers and, you know, our trepidation is even heard in our prayer. We pray, God, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm so worried about this and I know I shouldn't, but I am. And if you're in a prayer circle, you have three of those kind of prayers. And then it comes to the person who has the gift of faith. And the person who has the gift of faith prays a prayer like this. God, we know that you are bigger than this problem. We know you're holding the galaxies in place by your power. We know that you have promised that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. We know that you love us. And God, I am confident. I pray confidence into this small group that we would know that you are this way and that we would not fear. And the other people that are praying, they're like, oh, that was good. <laughs> I, I believe that. And I tell you, when you're around people with a gift of faith, it is a wonderful thing because we're so naturally fearful and worry, worrisome. And the person with, they just have this, they're steady. There's, there's a steadiness about them spiritually. And they, and they just buttress the church with confidence in the character of God. Would that all of us had that gift. That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? A church, fit, just, oh, God's going to do it. Praise God for the gift of faith. Next, we have healing. Healing. If you read through the Gospels, we see that physical healing was very much a part of Jesus' ministry. He healed many, many people. We get to the book of Acts, and uh, this gift is on display. The apostles had the gift of healing. So uh, Peter and John heal, and the apostle Paul had the gift of healing. Literally, in the text here, it is giftings of healings. Both are plural. Which I take to mean that this gift is one where God is, in a special way, enabling somebody to be mediatorial. To be an avenue of healing that God brings. There is no human being, other than Jesus, that is a healer. We cannot heal ourselves anything. But God can use people to bring healing and there are many examples in scripture of where he did that we also find in james 5 that healing is available through the prayers of the elders and the anointing of oil in the church may god heal may god heal the next list i'm just going to float through here miracle working helps administration leadership giving mercy These are all pretty uh, obvious what they are. But what a blessing they are. Like, take, for example, the gift of helps. The gift of helps. You know, somebody that has the gift of helps, they love to help. That's what it means. These are the people that they love to be behind the scenes. They love to be, you know, doing the little things that need to be done, organizing the little things, taking care of the little things, that just keep the whole thing moving, you know? You know? I think of my mom. Here it is Mother's Day. I think of my mom. I've been thinking about her this entire time. Uh, And I think about my mom. My mom has the gift of helps. Her greatest joy is to find some kind of a ministry that needs some people to get together and to do some behind-the-scenes stuff that she can go and cut and clip and paste and cook and, you know, wash. And she just, she loves doing that stuff. If my mom spent... One second doing what I'm doing right now, she would die. My mom would die, literally, to stand up here. She hates being in front of people. She hates to have to say anything in front of people. She says to me, She says, Steve, I don't know how you do it. And I'm like, I don't know how I do it either. I just get up, I talk, God does something. I don't know. It's just enabled by God. So she's got her gift of helps, and what a blessing. The gift of helps is to a church. If all those people were suddenly removed, this whole thing would just go, just collapse. So much help that is needed. Praise God for people that delight in their gift of helps. What a blessing. Giving. Now, some of you may say, well, wait, aren't we all supposed to have the gift of giving? Indeed, we are. We are called to give. We are called to serve. And that is certainly our time and our money and anything else that we have. Um, we're all called to that. But there are some people that have a unique gift of giving. Have you known anybody like this in the church? Where, like, the normal set thing is here, but these people, like, go above that. These are the people that, you know, if, if somebody needs a car, oh, they can use my car. It's not my car anyway. They can use my car. If somebody needs a house, you can have my house, you know. You need money? Where's the checkbook, honey? We don't have any money. I don't care. We're going to give it anyway. Uh, they just, they love to give and to, to pour themselves out for everything they have is God's anyway, and we're going to give it to Him. And when they're done giving, they're, they're so happy. It's like the happiest thing for them is to give of what they have. Praise God for the gift of giving. Mercy. These are the folks that these, these people are fairly easy to identify, like after a service, up front here or in the commons. These are people where there's one person that's crying, and they're the one next to them, and they're also crying. These are the people that have the unique ability to empathize with other people, where their hurt is, it's not just like I intellectually acknowledge the pain that you are going through. They hurt with them. They feel with them. And they they just ooze out mercy and compassion on people that are going through a difficult time. Have you been around somebody like this? It is a joy. Because, you know, when you are really in pain and you are really hurting, do you want to go to somebody that has the gift of organization? (laughs) They'll step in and say, well, let me solve your problem. You need to change your schedule. And Or do you want to go to somebody who has the gift of teaching necessarily? Who will say, well, let me tell you what God's word has to say about this. Which I'm not undermining that at all. Actually, I retract that statement because that is something that we definitely need. But maybe in the initial moment of pain. (laughs) What we really want is somebody to feel that with us. And to be with us in the midst of it. And so God, by his Holy Spirit, in his wisdom says there needs to be a lot of people in any congregation that have the gift of mercy, and he just empowers that gift to the blessing of the entire church family. Praise God for the gift of mercy in the church. All right, now put up the uh, the master list again if you would. Let's look at this list again. Now I want to ask a question here. How's it look? Any uh, any fishing pole gifts up there? No, these are all fantastic, are they not? I mean, praise God that He has given these gifts to the church. If if, if suddenly He just you know removed these from the church, we wouldn't be able to do anything. But he wants us to do something, and he wants us to serve him, and he wants us to be successful as a church. And so he has empowered and equipped everybody in the church to be really good at at least one thing. You, Christian, have something that you are able to do that nobody else can do it exactly the way that you do it. And God, the Holy Spirit, has given you that gift to use it. And when we do not use our gift, guess who is hurt by that? The church is hurt by it, and we are hurt by it. We're going to talk more about this, I think, next week. But one way to find out what your gift is, what's something that you love to do? What's something in in gospel ministry, in church ministry, that when you're done doing it, you walk out of that and you think, that was cool. I really enjoyed that. That was awesome. I wouldn't mind doing that again, I think. That's probably an indication of generally where your gifts lie. So praise God for all of these things and may may they be active and may they be blessing our congregation. Here's my last thing. I'd like to let you know why you likely love all these things. And it's maybe not the way that you think and for the reason that you think. The reason we love all of these things Is because all of these gifts are characteristics of God. It's not so much about the gift. We love the gifts, but we love them inherently because of the giver of the gifts. Do we love the gift of mercy? Of course we love the gift of mercy. But why do we love the gift of mercy? Because we love the fact that God is merciful. Do we love love healing? Of course we love healing. But why do we love it? We love it because God is a God who heals. Do we love truth? Of course. But why do we love truth? Because God is truth. There is no darkness in him at all. All of these things are telling us what God is like. That's why when the Holy Spirit shows up at a church and is working, these gifts are on display because this is what God looks like. It's what he's like. And so rather than looking and becoming obsessed with the gift, we need to be obsessed with the giver of the gift, who is the source of every blessing that we find in this list. So that if you're ever on the receiving end of a spiritual gift and are blessed by it, it is not the person who is doing it. It is, the, it is God who is doing the blessing. So that, like this morning, if there has been anything that I have said today, that in some way God has used to encourage you, challenge you, bless you, whatever it is, somewhat inside, you know what, it's not me. I can't do anything. I just talk. But God uses that within us. When when you're in pain and that person comes alongside with the gift of mercy and you're like, oh, I so appreciate that person. And it's great to appreciate the person, don't get me wrong. But the reason that it is a blessing to us inwardly is because that is God that is doing that. It is not the person. We don't do, we don't accomplish, we don't bear fruit. God bears fruit. The fruit. And the blessing that comes within us for the fruit is something that we ought to praise God for. Because that's the kind of God he is. He blesses his people. He comes alongside, equips, and empowers, and encourages, and nourishes the church. So to him be the glory, not to us, to him. Or as I've said it here, it is God's character expressed through God's servant To bless God's people for God's glory. That's a spiritual gift at work. And may God motivate and empower much blessing through these in our church. So next week, more on uh, gifts and how to discover them and how they unify us and the way this is supposed to work. We'll look forward to that. Would you stand together with me, please, for prayer?